Welcome to The Math of You, a podcast about formative media from when we were young. I'm Lucas Brown. On this, our ninth episode, I'll be talking to Megan Nielsen, co-host of the Hard Times podcast and local Aquaman expert, about how my chemical romance shaped the better part of her adult life. Along the way, we'll discuss emo high school uniforms, the unquestionable power of a celebrity recommendation, and how it feels to be the only person on the planet to ever have felt loneliness. We'll finish the show with our signature cocktail and let you know how you can become a guest on The Math of You. We join this conversation already in progress. Thanks. For those who may not know you, why don't you explain why, in the words of Chris Haley, you are a beautiful and unique snowflake? Oh, oh, I don't know about that. I am Megan Nielsen. I am on Twitter a lot, but I guess more notably, I have a podcast about professional wrestling. It is called The Hard Times Podcast, and you can find us on iTunes or at Twitter. But I guess, really, my, my main thing is I'm the local Aquaman expert. You have any Aquaman-related questions, you can come to me to ask them. She is not kidding. She will school you on the man that is Aqua. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Big time. <laughs> Actually, I think that's how we originally met on Twitter, is you had just done an Intuit episode, another good podcast, Go Intuit Podcast, and you had just done an episode on Aquaman, and I remember just, like, talking to you after that, and then you followed me back, and I'm like, oh, this cool person on Twitter knows a lot about Aquaman, wants to follow me back. That's cool. Yeah. No, I know a lot about Aquaman. It's like, I feel like he's really underappreciated. <laughs> Yeah, and and you you got to inform me about that weird water hand thing that he had. Oh my god, twice he had it twice. It's just not good. It's not good. It's <laughs> it's the hook hand even is better. For those unaware, Aquaman gets his hand cut off on a pretty regular basis, I guess, and at various school, school of piranhas, <laughs> uh, crushed under a rock. What was the other one? Black Manta. Black Manta. Yeah. It's always Black Manta. <laughs> and uh, at various times, it's been replaced by, like, water in hand form or a giant hook. Very, very 90s of him. <laughs> See, I liked, the, I, I liked the, the harpoon hand until it also became a grappling hook. And I'm like, the, the, where, where, does, where does the rope go? Is it in his forearm? Did he hollow out his forearm to hide rope for his hook? I don't, I have no clue, but I do love all of the covers that gave us, because there are just, like, some obscene covers, 
with like like him in the like in the background and then in the foreground it's just like this hook shooting from his arm it's phenomenal it's like that 3d revival in the early aughts where it's like every movie had to have a spear pointing directly at the camera no exactly <laughs> it's like that bit in beowulf where it's actually like piercing his eye a tiny little bit and you're like that movie is horrible oh it's so bad i it's hate so it bad. i remember i wasn't gonna go see it because i think it came out like, this isn't relevant. I'm sorry, but I have to say this. I think it came out, like, <laughs> like right when I had, like, had to read it for high school, I'm pretty sure. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, oh, wow, what a wonderful tie-in. And I'll go watch it. And then I went to go watch it, and I was like, what possessed me? <laughs> like... Why did See, I, w- I was just in because it was Neil Gaiman, and I had just been reading a ton of Neil Gaiman books. And I'm like, oh, he's writing a movie. Cool. Oh, it's going to be like an edgy retelling of Beowulf. Oh, yeah, I'll check that out. And also, I didn't know who Ray Winstone was, and I've since seen Sexy Beast, and I'm like, what made you watch Sexy Beast with his bleached blonde hair and his dad bod and go, you know what? That's my Beowulf. That's the face I'm putting on this Ken doll CGI person. That was, yeah. Why didn't they just... And the the best part about that is, like, in a weird, like, I have spite about this thing that doesn't affect me in any way. Welcome to the internet. <laughs> is that that never caught on. Like, they never kept with that weird style of of making movies. Like, that weird 3D thing that is, like, Uncanny Valley bullshit never really went anywhere. Yeah, ha- happily not. <laughs> Also, shout out to Crispin Glover for playing a chewed up piece of gum under a school seat. <laughs> oh, yeah. All right. So, Megan, so why don't you tell us a little bit about how you came up? So, I did like my real growing up, the formative years mm-hmm. in Alaska. I was a very depressed youth, and I also have a flair for the dramatic. Shocking. Those I know. Um, <laughs> so those two things combined really led to quite an interesting human being. I was always, you know, literally everything was the end of the world all of the time. And I never, ever could see myself getting past whatever horrible event had just happened to me, right? Okay. And so I also was a compulsive liar, like big time, big time. <laughs> so like all of these things they did not go together great. And so I think one time... And I, I have this, and I, shoot, I probably should have led with this, but I have this thing that I say where I like to say, um, for better or for worse, like, you owe the person you're talking to right now, Megan Nielsen, to Gerard Way. <laughs> <laughs> because, so I guess I just, there's this old place in Anchorage, it's called Tidal Wave, and it's like a used bookstore and music store, and it's great, you go there and get stuff. And uh, it's, it was very close to my, both the middle school and the high school that I went to. I had just gotten caught I believe in a lie with my parents as was very often the case and I was uh, avoiding going home by walking over to Tidal Wave instead and like this is like the like kind of the later half of the mid-2000s but it's in there and uh I come across so I must have been like like 14 I come across in the CD bin this CD called Three Cheers for Sweet Revenge by My Chemical Romance and the cover is very striking to me. If you're not familiar with it, it's a bloody man and a bloody woman almost kissing. And I was very, very taken aback by this. And then you look at the, the track list and it's stuff like, you know, I never told you what I did for a living. The ghost of you. I'm not okay. Uh, thanks for the venom. <laughs> like, you know. No, not just I'm not okay, but I'm not okay bracket, I promise. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and so it's all very very dramatic things and I'm like okay cool so my mom picks me up and I'm you know we're not talking 
and then I'd finally go home, and I'd slam my door, and then my CD, my CD tower player, because it was also a karaoke machine. Oh, excellent. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like a small tower I had in, on the floor in my bedroom. I put in the CD, and I turn it up very, very loud, and it's like nothing I've heard in my entire life ever. I become obsessed with this sound. And it's very much the, like, mid-2000s. I mean, if you're not familiar, it's very much the, like, mid-2000s, like, the emo sound. But, especially that album, there is kind of, like, a uh, undertone of more, like, punk rock. It's very angry. It's very fast. That one especially. And I, I just become enthralled. And I take out the booklet, and I read all the words. I memorize all of the lyrics. I know who all the band members are. And I, I just need more. So I hop onto the internet and I find out, you know, lucky for me, there's more. And like, it just becomes this thing where I go to Tidal Wave because the place that sold CDs was too far for me to walk. And my parents wouldn't have taken me because I was professionally grounded. And um, <laughs> I, I, so, I so was. Like, the frame of my existence is like that block radius around like my, the school. Like the comic book store was there so I could walk to that. The cafe was there. This, this bookstore was there. Like, my growing up was very much in this, like, one neighborhood of Anchorage, Alaska. <laughs> which, again, helped with the isolation that I was feeling because I was the only person who had ever been isolated or sad ever. Right? Well, of course. In suburbia. Although, I, I need to point <laughs> out that of the three people that I know that grew up in, in Alaska, a lot of them tell the same kind of story. So, yeah, this, this seems to be a thing with young women growing up in Alaska. Yeah, well, from at least in, in my incredibly small sampling frame that I've just and, mentioned. I mean, the thing is, like, I grew up in Anchorage, and that is the biggest city in Alaska. It's, like, a pretty good-sized city. It's, like, 300,000. There's a ton of people there, but the problem is the city is very spread out. It's very large, it's like, miles-wise, and so you kind of get stuck, especially when you're growing up, in this one section of it. Like, I grew up in the west side of Anchorage, and, like, south side or east side or whatever. Like, you didn't really go there. So that also really helps to lend to this feeling of isolation. And because the next town is, like, 20, 20 minutes away in a car, mm-hmm. like, half hour, like, you kind of, like, no one's really just casually making the trip out to Palmer. That's not really happening. <laughs> so, yeah, no, and so I just am, like, so angry. And, like, and I find then I find, of course, the Black Parade or, like, not a lot of people like their first album, which is called, oh, shit. Bullets is in the title. I just call it by the abbreviation. It's just Bullets. Someone's going to read me for this. But, like, <laughs> and then I didn't get Danger Days for a very, very long time because it didn't show up at Tidal Wave for a very, very long time. So, like, that, I mean, so for an extremely long period of time, I'm sucked in solely to, like, the emo aspect of, like, this band. And then there's a documentary that came out, and it was about their tour that they did for Three Cheers for Sweet Revenge. And in it, you see... Gerard is like reading comic books and he's doing like art for this and so I become fascinated then with that and like a lot of my very early art style was super heavy inks lots of like splatter because that's what Gerard that's what Gerard Way did and like I already liked comic books but it was very much in like the superhero realm of it all okay but then gerard way tells me about about this dude called grant morrison and he tells me about oh that's how it happens oh yes (laughs) it's gerard way and again i've read every grant morrison comic book ever literally i'm obsessed with the man (laughs) i think there's something about when you get like a recommendation when you're at a certain age where 
that recommendation is taken as gospel. Yeah. And there's a certain kind of fervor attached to it. Like you said, it's like, oh, this person that I like likes Grant Morrison. I'm going to hunt down every goddamn Grant Morrison story. Completely. You're, you're 100% right. And so I, like, go in, and I, I go to this comic book store, and, like, you know, Grant Morrison's a huge name in comic books. He's not, like, some sort of secret. But I'm like, do you guys know who this Grant Morrison guy is? Can you get me Doom Patrol? And they're like, yeah, kid, we, we can get you Doom. Like, you know, <laughs> like... <laughs> You are standing next to an Animal Man poster. I'm sure we could make that happen. Which is why, like, this is the same comic book store that I ended up working for for two years. And it's so embarrassing because one of, like, like the manager and some of the older, like, employees there remember this, like, 13-year-old being, like, with too much eyeliner. Like, so who's Grant Morrison? Like... <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, come to think of it, God, would that be around the time when Morrison was writing New X-Men, right? So he would have been everywhere. No, it's later. It's it's later. Oh, it's later than that. Okay. That was wasn't that two thousand? Oh, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, actually, Lucas. No, that's fine. The year two thousand. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is. So well, actually, no. Come, come to think of it, yeah, I'm 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 trying to remember because uh, shortly after I came to Australia, I didn't have. I was here on a tourist visa, so I couldn't study and I couldn't work, and I also had no money. I would wait for my then girlfriend to come off work, and she would work down in the city at at a bookstore. And I would wait by going into King's Comics or Comics Kingdom, which are the two stores within two blocks of each other. It's very confusing. That is that is a lot. It's a little extra. I would like just basically go in and just read their new issues. A, a lot of that new X Men stuff was happening. And come to think of it, God, it would have been two thousand and three. So I think it was right around like Planet X, Here Comes Tomorrow kind of stuff. And I was reading the recaps online because again I had nothing to do. So I would just like go on uh, like uh, uncannyxmen.net and just read the recaps as they came up. And if one didn't come up in time, I would just go down to the comic book store and read it until Comic Kingdom eventually kicked me out because they recognized my face after a little while. And they're like, you never actually buy anything. This would have been around All-Star Superman, like a little bit later. Okay, yeah. Because like that was 05. This was a little bit later. But like that was like the big thing that he had just done would have been like All-Star Superman. Mm -hmm. And so I read Doom Patrol, which is still, I think, my favorite comic book ever probably mm -hmm. and like i think i'm so meta right because like i buy extra copies in like the back issue bin because no one's buying doom patrol in the year like 2007 and like <laughs> and so i'm buying it for super cheap and i'm like making collages i still have i think i don't think they took it down in my old home i made a grant morrison collage that sat on the wall next to my bed with like pictures of him and like cutouts from his comics it's very intense i think i've got a photo somewhere that I could probably post for the sake of this episode and I was like oh I'm making a scissor man collage with scissors like oh like <laughs> no one's ever done it <laughs> yeah yeah it was like that <laughs> like I'm so cool and like so then I read all that and then of course you find out that he wrote years of Batman and he did JLA and there's all the superhero stuff he did so that that is really the time when my comics were over because I was a fan mm -hmm. um, but that's when it like explodes and so that's where you get the comic book aspect of me now that I'm kind of well known for, for loving comics. You get that because Gerard Way told me to go read Doom Patrol. This is not <laughs> really a big part of my life now, but um, in high school, I was very, very big into fan fiction. I wrote some fan fiction. It no longer exists. Look all you want. I've scrubbed it from the internet. But um, I did write some Mike and McCromance fan fiction. And... <laughs> My interest. No, that's okay. That's okay. 
I will merely ask you this. Yes. Your insert character, what color was her hair? Uh, no insert character. Oh, really? Okay, wow. See, I was going to give you the benefit of the doubt on that, but no, you're, you're on another level. Uh, no, it so was, tell me what happened in this fanfiction. It's just Fr- uh, Frank Iero and Gerard Way kissing a lot. <laughs> in like Excellent. in like cemeteries in New Jersey, like <laughs> of course, that's Jersey specifically. Well, they're a Jersey band. They're all from New Jersey, <laughs> and I was familiar with New Jersey, so they could all kiss in New Jersey cemeteries. Amazing. Yeah, that's what that was about. And so, like, I don't write fan fiction anymore, but I still write. And honestly, like, you know, when you would write in school and teachers tell you you're good, but you don't listen to them. Like, I probably would never have continued writing if it was not for that initial burst in, like, homoerotic fan fiction. Which also, for the record, helped me discover a lot about myself as a person. No, straight up. <laughs> and my sexuality. No, and then, like, so you get, like, my comics, and that stems from, like, this thing with My Chemical Romance. And then you get, especially you know, when you find out Gerard wrote comics, too. And then they were on top of it, they, oh, were, yes. they were good. Like, <laughs> oh, Umbrella Academy is real good. Yeah. yeah, and it's one of those things where, like, I totally went into it where it's like, hope they didn't just give this to him because he's Gerard Way. And maybe they did, but he's really good at it. Like, Yeah, he, he shows a really good understanding of the medium. Like, that first Umbrella Academy um, volume is so smart when it comes to expectations and, you know, the tropes of the genre and stuff. It's it's real good. No, that comic book is amazing. It's not one of those things like, hey, let's let CM Punk write tracks for a while. That was not good, right? Like, we can all just collectively agree that that was not... Like, I, I like CM Punk, although, again, like any wrestler on the internet, the more they talk, the more I go, oh, I can't really associate with this person. And I bought that first issue because I was like, I think it was actually, I was in L.A., like my one trip to LA and I went to Meltdown and I bought a whole bunch of like single issues of stuff and Drax 1 was on the front was on the front spinner rack and I'm like yes I will buy that and I bought it and I read it and I'm like this this is not very good so like Meltdown is... is kind of disappointing right <laughs> yes and no I mean like I, I had a lot of fun going in there because admittedly I'm also a big toy nerd and so I went over to like their their figure section and the fact they had a Nintendo 64 at the back and I got to play the Jaws game. Yeah, so that was stuff. good because like, like I went in with my brother who like kind of really couldn't give less of a shit about comics mm-hmm. except for Nightfall. Oh boy, that's, um, a, that's a painted a picture right there. He really likes that comic book. I don't, I don't, I don't really know. He really likes Nightfall and Grant Morrison's X-Men. Okay. My brother really likes us. I, I tried to get him into it. It was never his thing, but he really likes those two comics. Um, so that was good for my family, but I was like, wow, the fabled meltdown. And like, was it cool to kind of see like where a lot of podcasts that at the time I was very into recorded? I mean, yeah, but then I was like, where are all the comic books? (laughs) They're on the right in that little corner. I was like, oh, okay, cool signed Grant Morrison poster, I guess. Like, (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) I just feel like I hadn't gotten to voice that opinion about meltdown. Another thing that's very, I feel like intrinsic to me comes out of my chemical romance and that is um mm-hmm. makeup or i guess makeup in the way as like a performative femininity thing because gerard especially did this thing that in the scene in the bandom scene which i had a very popular tumblr blog <laughs> yeah with like ten thousand followers yeah oh snap i know i know called stage gay we're on stage he's very gay with a member of the band and like he would, you know, he wore, like, that really heavy eyeliner and, like, the red eyeshadow. And his, his, he used makeup as, like, kind of a feminine performance thing. 
like whether or not mm-hmm. that actually speaks to anything about his opinions on gender but like that's what he was doing then I start to do that and so like and I still do that like I do a lot I really like makeup and I do a lot of very intricate things with my makeup mm-hmm. but it's very much about femininity as a performance aspect and less about like me being a super feminine person or identifying super feminine so i don't know like just kind of like a whole lot of like my personal like revelations happen at this time when i'm like 14 to about honestly like 18 (laughs) this like and and of course and it's just and so with with the way he acts like with how gay he is on stage and like with him using makeup like i was young like you know when I was a kid, of course, my dad would listen to Bowie or Prince with me, but I, at that time, was not tapped into Bowie and Prince using makeup or their bodies as, like, a statement on gender. Like, you know, mm-hmm. I don't have a concept for that. And so My Chemical Romance was really kind of the first thing that did that for me, where I was like, oh, this is cool and this is different. And they also completely, since the move and, like, more of me being an adult, I don't really play as much music anymore. But I used to be a really big musician, played a lot of music, and that I played bass guitar and was pretty good at it. And that also comes out of like my chemical romance because, like, okay. well, they all do interviews talking about their favorite bands. And so, like, I became really, really, really into Slayer at like age 14 because, like, Gerard Way really liked Slayer. And, like, I think age 14 is the perfect time to get into Slayer. I think. <laughs> when you're into Slayer. I think a lot of people got into Slayer at 14. Or like, you know, Green Day. Oh, oh yes. Yes. Oh yes. Second album I ever bought (laughs) was Green Day's Dookie. (laughs) See, I liked Dookie too, but I liked American Idiot first. And I become obsessed. So you backtracked. With this album. Yeah, because that's what I do. When I become a fan of something, I I have to know everything about it. So like, I went Mm. and I find all of Green Day's music. Um, I, I still stand by American Idiot's a real good album. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. I'll fight anyone. I get that it was overhyped, and I get that 21st Century Romance or whatever the one that came after it was no good. Breakdown. Breakdown, thank you. That, that was the tour I went to see them on, and basically with the exception of, like, I think 21 Guns and the, stat- and the Static Age, the, the rest of it, they just played American Idiot and then old stuff. Yeah, as they and should. Loved it. <laughs> and the thing is, American Idiot, I remember listening to it, and... I think it was maybe like 24 or something. And it allowed me... It, it, oh, God, this is... Right, are you ready for this embarrassing Please. thing? American Idiot uh, gave me the vocabulary to talk about why I loved musicals so much. Okay. How's that for an ass-backwards realization? It's because a little bit convoluted. I, isn't it? I, I've talked about it on previous episodes where my mom would blare Les Mis in the car when I was a kid. Okay. And I loved Les Mis because... You know, it was, it's, it's a really great sing-along kind of musical when you're, when you're little because you can learn all the words and there's quick bits and there's bits where everyone is singing. And then I was listening to American Idiot and I was sitting here going, why do I love this so much? It doesn't sound like the previous Green Day albums that I also love. I will stand by Insomniac being a really interesting album despite it being, you know, not terribly talked about. Hey, same, I mean, really same me with too. Them. What? Me too. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> like listening to it, I'm like, why do I love this so much? And then I'm going, okay, it's got layered motifs. It's got you know, recurring themes from previous songs. It's got one of those big Les Mis, everyone singing at once, crossing over things. And I'm like, oh, it's a musical. It's literally, before they made it a musical, it was a musical. I I have not been able to bring myself to look into the actual stage show. Is it terrible or is it I have no clue. I never listened to it. (laughs) One of my very, very best friends loves it. 
more than she loves the album American Idiot, but American Idiot's not wow, her type okay. of music. So mm -hmm. take that as you will. I don't know. I've never listened to it because I don't really want to. <laughs> also, last note on Green Day before we move on. When I went to the concert, it was in 2007, and I bought a terrible t-shirt, which uh, I think I threw out in the last move, finally. But they had, like, he had this leaf blower that had a toilet paper roll attached to the end. Uh, okay. And he would just pick this thing up like a minigun and run to the front of the stage. This Billy Joe. And he would sort of point it out, and it would blast this toilet paper stream, like, out to the first balcony. And I'm like... Huh, I wonder how often you had to do this to get your technique just right. <laughs> probably a lot. <laughs> probably you probably practiced that a lot. <laughs> and I can just see him going, all right, all right, just just hold still. I'm going to throw this toilet paper at you. And then, like, try and, like, get the halo around the guy's head and just end up smacking some guy in the face with a leaf blower propelled roll of toilet paper. Sorry. Sorry, my fault. <laughs> yeah, on me. My bad. I don't know if you do like companion posts for these podcasts but i in high school did an art a photography self-portrait photography project based on green days american idiot and i posted them uh, on i don't normally do companion <laughs> posts but i will do one for that <laughs> because that sounds amazing yeah i have them they're on facebook it's private so only i can see them but i will take them and i will give content either i can post them on twitter you can put whatever i and we can show these really and it's like me and i'm so, i look so young i'm such a baby and i made fake blood and i like smeared it in my closet oh my god it's bananas i also set like a book on fire because there's like a line there's like a line about how they like burn a bio i don't fucking know there's like a line about burning a book yep and I'm just like sitting in the back with like poorly applied like black lipstick. And I'm just like very angstily holding this burning book. Like <laughs> Check it out, man. Symbolism. Oh, it's it's real good. I, I I will I will get these for your benefit. Oh, I'm so excited about this. This is amazing. <laughs> yeah, no, it's good. It's real good. And um I've said before I've said before that that great art makes you want to steal it. Um I now have a new definition, which is great art makes you want to do a moody series of self-portraits involving burning books and smeared lipstick. Oh, yeah, it's great. It's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it's incredibly embarrassing, and I love it. Uh, <laughs> it really sums me up as, like, a youth. Because <laughs> I, I found, oh, my God. And again, like, this is, like, funny in retrospect, but I must have been horrible to be around because, like, <laughs> I found this journal when i was moving across the country to maine i found this journal i wrote when i was very very young during this time period and it's like these super emo song lyrics and like poems about oh boy. about suicide and like oh boy oh yeah oh yeah again not, not to trivialize thoughts of suicide but putting it in the context that you did i, I feel like i can kind of picture it yes no and here's the thing i was very suicidal but but in retrospect, I was just being so dramatic about it, too. Like, there were serious issues there, and, like, my parents did the right thing and put me into therapy, and it got me medicated. Like, you know, it was handled appropriately, which is why I can, like, talk about it so callously. Cause okay. I, but, like, <laughs> or I took, oh, my God. Like, there were pages of it where I just took one of my razor blades and just slashed the page, pieces of paper, and it's, like, in this journal. It's bananas. I cannot imagine. And I wore the same thing every day. I had like a, just like a white undershirt, but like it's a men's mm -hmm. XL, so it was very baggy on me. I mm -hmm. cut the neck out of it so I could kind of like oh swoop it over one shoulder. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, I wore a red bra underneath this white t-shirt, black skinny jeans, and then I had this black zip-up My Chemical Romance hoodie. I still have it, but it's so threadbare that I don't really wear it. And it's the three cheers one, so on one side of it, it's the man, and on the other side of the zipper, it's the woman, and then it says three cheers for your revenge. See, that, that's a high-value hoodie, where it's like, they've at least incorporated the design into the look of the thing. It's not like they just stamped it on there. That actually sounds pretty cool. No, it's a great hoodie, and I think it's probably still on their store if I wanted to get it. And I, but it was extra large as well, because I was very self-conscious. Like, I had a way better body in high school than I do now, but I was, like, terrified of my body. Um, <laughs> I was much thinner. So I would wear it, and, like, the shirt and the hoodie would kind of be slouched over one shoulder so you could, like, see my red bra strap. And I had a very short, like, black bob with blunt bangs, and I wore too much eyeliner with, like, red eyeshadow and, like, bright red lipstick. And that's what I wore every day. And I'm very pale, so this is all very striking against my extremely pale skin. And I wore that every day. And I can't, I can't figure out why anyone talks to me. <laughs> um, I, I can say, without a shadow of the doubt, that high school Lucas would have seen high school Megan <laughs> and would have been too intimidated to talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly! Like, I was dressing like a maniac! Like... <laughs> What's funny is that you mentioned they're, they're like ripping stuff up and wearing something underneath. Is that because yeah, I had a, I had a bunch of goth friends when I was in high school, but I didn't have the money to be performative goth. I would basically just wear a lot of black and sort of slouch around. Fair. And, Fair. Um, <laughs> it was only later when I got to university that I would like I would try stuff. Like I would be like, okay, you know, I remember from Halloween we had those liquid liner pencil things, and I could you know do a little bit of guy liner or something. And or and my the one thing that I try is I had an, an old shirt that it, that it was black and it had kind of stretched out the way that like the bottom elastic didn't actually stick to me anymore so it was kind of ballooned out so again like you mentioned I took a knife to it and I cut a whole bunch of rips in it and I had again this is setting the time period very specifically in late two thousand I had a black shirt with a silver Superman logo on the front love it and I would wear the ripped up shirt over that. And so that the silver bits would show through a little bit, and I thought it was the coolest thing. And I wore it out, and I got laughed at by my friends, and I never wore it again. Oh, and also um, a lot of safety pins, and mm-hmm. Doc Martens were the only shoes I wore. I, I still blame Doc Martens for the fact that I have terrible feet now. I still <laughs> only that... wear Doc Martens. <laughs> See, I, I, I had changed that up when I moved to Australia because I went from living in Western Canada to coming to Australia. And when I landed, it was 34 degrees Celsius, mm-hmm. uh, which, hang on, I'll do the math for you. Thank you. Because I just realized you're not going to understand what that is. Very hot, right? It's very hot. Real hot. Yeah. Celsius. And I know, I know that. Uh, it's, yeah, I stepped off the plane. I, it was uh, minus 17 in Calgary, and I was wearing my lightest jacket. I got on a plane, came to Sydney, and it was 93 degrees Fahrenheit. Yeah. Yeah, so it basically, it got real, it was a, a, something that I realized very quickly that wearing, although there's lots of, of people who do, like, Australian goths, I salute you because you're wearing PVC and giant boots and ridiculous amounts of makeup uh, in this weather, and I'm sorry, I couldn't do it. It's also why my, my hair got a hell of a lot less complicated when I got to Australia, because if you use, and again, I'm going to date myself here, uh, there's ice spiking glue stuff to get really complicated spikes. Uh, except if you're in Australia and you sweat a lot, and then flies come <gasps> because they think hair they think hair stuff is really delicious. Oh, that's horrifying! And so I would like, <laughs> oh, it would either run down my face and sting my eyes, or I'd get like big like flies stuck to it, and someone would have to point it out to me, and it would be super embarrassing. So yeah, my hair got real simple for a bit. 
No, dude, I totally get it. Cause like even in my move to Maine, it, it when I came, it was like eighty, and I was like, oh, mm -hmm. I guess I can't wear like a full face of foundation and sweaters every day. I guess <laughs> I have to, you know, not like I just cause just for heat. And I see girls like with their faces beat, like wearing like like leg like leggings in the heat, and I'm like, wow, you impress. I'm not you. You impressed me. <laughs> or, like, dudes who, like, wear flannels and jeans, like, no matter what the temperature. Like, wow. <laughs> Kudos to you. Because, <laughs> like, it's 75, and I'm not doing that. I have a very low heat tolerance. It's very <laughs> low. I'm sure someone somewhere is like, okay, 75 degrees, whatever, Megan. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, Well, that's the thing. You, you can kind of bite back and be like, I'm from Alaska. Oh, totally. It's not the same. <laughs> totally. Yeah, see, for a little while, I was like that with cold weather here, where it was like during winter, I'm like, okay, it's spring. I may I may wear something with a long sleeve, and other people are like rugged up with scarves and like toques and giant boots and things. And I'm like, guys, guys, it's like, it's like 14 degrees. It's not that cold. You'll be okay. <laughs> yeah, but see, whereas now um, I've come to the realization, also, you know, 13 years, I acclimatize a little bit. I've lost my edge. But I can say part of the problem is because houses in Australia don't have any insulation. They're basically tents made out of wooden brick. Okay. So the comparative thing I always say is like, did you ever go to summer camp at any point when you were a kid? Yes. I went to Girl Scout camp. Okay. Well, you know the feeling when you wake up in like a cabin and even though you know it's summer, it's still freezing and you don't want to put your feet on the floor because oh, yes. you're bare feet? Oh, yes. And you like try and throw yourself into your clothes as quickly as you can to stop any skin from touching the air. It's like that, but in your house. That's not great. <laughs> I guess it's not ideal for me. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about that on a regular basis. Anyway, we were talking about other things. Oh, yeah. No, I just, it really just comes down to, like, everything I like pretty much at this point in my life, I like because of Gerard Way. Like, he helped me discover, like, so much of the music that I still to this day love. So many of the comic mm -hmm. books that became such an intrinsic part of my life. Um, even movies. Like, you know, he talked about some, like, old horror movies that he was into. And it's, like, now all I ever want to do is, like, watch horror movies. And it's just, like, I don't know. I really wanted to be with him and Mikey in his parents' basement as teenagers, like, watching pro wrestling with them and, like, horror oh, Wait, wait, wait. Wait, wait. My Chemical Romance, like, wrestling as well? Um, it's mostly just... Mikey, who's still like a really mm -hmm. big fan of it, but when they were all teenagers, they were really big into pro wrestling, yeah. Which is funny because at this point in my life, I was not. Like, I was cognizant of it, but I wasn't like a huge, obsessed professional wrestling fan when I was this big emo. <laughs> see, it's funny because I can, I can see. I can see some links around that. So I can see people, like I know people who got into old horror movies, some very smart people who talk very well about it, who got into it because Rob Zombie would name check a Vincent Price movie or The Misfits would name check this Misfits. old movie. Misfits, yes. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, totally. See, I have controversial opinions on The Misfits in that I think American Psycho is their best album and I prefer Michael Graves to Glenn Danzig. Don't at me, internet. <laughs> My favorite... Misfit song is a Michael Graves song. Um, Which one? When Eagles Dare or Where Eagles Dare. Oh. I think that's the best Misfit song. I would get dressed to that in the morning and like throw on my jacket and my pants <laughs> to that song and just feel like a biker. It was awesome. I don't think overall I prefer Danzig. I mean, I prefer Danzig overall, but my favorite song is that song. So it's okay. I'm not going to at you. I kind of agree with you. <laughs> 
Um, see, now Glenn Danzig is forever associated with, there's a, a games writer named Max Scoville who does a, a Danzig impression because he will go to Danzig concerts now. And he'll be, and Danzig will be like, this is a song about werewolves. <laughs> I'm just like, I, I now can't associate that with the, this kind of older man with a bit of a gut now pouring blood on himself and going, yeah, I really like werewolves. I went out in the desert. <laughs> it's a song about werewolves. <laughs> Fuck you, Danzig. <laughs> he's kind of living, he's living his best life. Bless him. Someone has to, right? <laughs> yeah. So, and like, obviously I've toned it down. I own some colors that aren't black. I don't want to die all the time anymore. So like, those are good things. But so much of my interest, I can literally just trace back to like, pretty much Gerard Way telling me that this thing was cool. Or like, even like the other members of the band, I don't want to like short ca- discount them. It's just, you know, Gerard got the most screen time. So he did, like, the most interviews and stuff. Yeah, he, he was the front man. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, like, Frank especially was, like, way, way, way into punk rock. And I am also, like, way, way, way into punk rock. And so, like, him talking about, like, shit like the Misfits or the Stooges, like, way, way back, like, MC5. Like, all of, like, I got really into that and became also really into the Velvet Underground, which is, like, and, like, that whole scene. Because, like, some, through some backwards way. Because of this mm-hmm. band, you know? And so it's, like... My family especially. Or here, here's a, here's a different threat. When this band broke up, this is going to make me sound like the most melodramatic piece of shit. When My Chemical Romance broke up... <laughs> I was going to say, just, just to preface that, you have already said you were the most dramatic person on the planet who was the only one who felt loneliness in their lives. Yes. So I am prepared, I think. Uh, when My Chemical Romance broke up, I didn't get out of bed for like probably three days. Aw, Megs. I was so sad. I was so... I just feel sympathy. I was so sad. And, like, my dad read it in the newspaper. I was, like, 18, Lucas. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe older. He read it in the newspaper, and he told my mom. He goes, you can't tell Megan. Don't tell Megan. But, of course, I already knew. I had the internet. I knew before they knew. But I just like that sentiment where even he knew. He was like, don't tell Megan that this band broke up. See, I'm just picturing you, like, coming down for breakfast and, like, holding a bowl of cereal and and then seeing the headline in slow motion dropping the cereal bowl to shatter (laughs) on the floor. And, like, I was just so sad. And I I couldn't listen to music for, like, the longest time. And so to take up that space, because I always like to have some sort of noise in the background, I got really into podcasts, which is such a huge part of my life now. Not only listening, but obviously I have one, and I've guessed it on many other podcasts, and it's just like... So even even kind of like my internet thing now, because my Twitter started out as a My Chemical Romance Twitter. Like, like, so even my internet thing now, where I like to listen to podcasts, and I'm knowledgeable about topics, and I have a Twitter that people talk to me on, like, I can, I can thank My Chemical Romance for that because they broke up and I didn't listen to music for like a year Um, (laughs) you know I don't I just I owe that band a lot and so I'm thankful for everyone who sucked with me during that very awkward period of my life because it was not great and I don't really think I I didn't realize how bad it was until I found that journal and I was like oh I was like this all the time I was this horrible <laughs> all the time. Um, no, but it's just like I owe them so much. Like so many of the comic books that I like now, I would never have discovered if it wasn't for Gerard Way sending me into the comic book store to find Doom Patrol. You know, 
I wouldn't like. I'd probably David Bowie, who's my favorite of all time. Mm -hmm. I probably wouldn't like him as much as I would have without Gerard. Because, like, of course, like, you know, my dad played it. My dad was really into music. He would play it in the car when I was little, and I liked the songs. But I would probably never have bothered to go, like, find out about this guy. I just, I don't know. So much of the stuff, like, again, with the writing and the ties back in through fan fiction, just so much of what I do now and who I am now would be completely different if it wasn't for... My, and I, I know that it sounds like so dramatic when people say like bands saved their life, but I was really at a dark place and My Chemical Romance helped get me through that dark place. And I would be here in a very different capacity now if it wasn't for My Chemical Romance. See, I think that that's a good thing. I mean, for all the, the, that you say, oh, people make fun of the band saving lives. I absolutely believe it. And I think media has a has a power that some people realize and others discount. But it's really worth it's it's worth taking at face value. It's not it's not always about going. Oh yeah, what do you mean a band saved your life? No, it's 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 a real thing. Yeah, no, and it's like, and again, like my my family very frequently teases me about this period in my life because it is so easy to mock. I was very much a stereotype. If it wasn't for me being that stereotype, like I don't know, I don't know who I would be. Like so much of my passions in the th- and I'm a very passionate person. I think that's my number one defining trait. <laughs> no, no, not you. I'm very passionate about very many things. Everything is the best ever. It's just if it wasn't if it wasn't for my passion for this band, and it's not just my chemical romance. I should say I was into all the good emo, all like <laughs> all the you know Jimmy Eat World, Taking Back Sunday, Fall Out Boy, Panic at the Disco. Don't worry, I had a variety. D- did you fall into the screamo vibe? Did you get some Atreyu up in there? Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. In fact, <laughs> the local music scene in Alaska is very dominated by, like, metal and screaming. I don't know what the fucking term for that is now. It was screamo when I was into it, but now screamo's the wrong thing to call it. So I don't, you know... Um... <laughs> in, in the rapidly shifting world that is the internet terminology of music. What, whatever you know, whatever it is these days. Like, that, the local music scene in Anchorage is very dominated by that, so I was also very into that. Well, yeah, ev- everyone's alone. You, you've just explained it. <laughs> everyone's <laughs> alone, so they have to make themselves heard. <laughs> yeah, no, tons of, like, shitty metal, like, tons of screamo. Like, that's, like, the Anchorage music scene. It's changing a little bit. It's becoming a little more Mumford & Sons, but, um... <laughs> Folk revival. Totally. Anchorage is going to be the next Seattle in 10 years. <laughs> but like, <laughs> but at the time, like that was like that was totally like the local scene. So if I would go to shows, which was kind of rare because I was shy and scared and I was very small and very short, you know. But like if I would go to shows, it was all that. So I totally had that angry side too. It wasn't just the sad side. Also, um, Gerard Way told me who Morrissey was. And Morrissey is like... Oh, so that... And that door got opened. <laughs> oh, yes, did that door get opened. Uh, <laughs> most people who know me now, like a defining trait of being my friend is if you're in a car with me at night, some sort of Smith song will be playing. <laughs> yeah, no. I just... It's so it's just so many things. So many things that I love and like would never even think twice of loving now. Like, yeah, I love the Smiths. Okay. But if I look back, why do I love the Smiths? Oh, right. Gerard Way told me who the Smiths were, you know? So I, I don't know. I think, I think that period in my life is awkward, but I think it's awkward for everyone, you know, when you're growing up and when you're kind of f- trying to figure out who you're going to be as a person. Yeah, I, I think if you don't look back on old pictures of yourself and kind of cringe a little bit, then you have, you've done something wrong. Oh, yeah. I, again, very poorly done, lots of eyeliner. <laughs> I cut my own hair because I was so anxious all the time. 
before I got medicated. Like, that's why my hair was always short, because I would just randomly, like, chop at it mm-hmm. for, like, that chunky layers effect. <laughs> and, no, but, like, I like to think of emoed gracefully. It's still inside my dark soul, mm-hmm. but um, I'm a little bit more presentable. But, no, it's just, you know, so much of who I am, of who I am now comes from my time being really, really invested in my chemical romance. Not to say not to say I'm not anymore. I still very much am. It's just a different. I'm not perpetually fanatic about it. Well, now you've let other things into your life. It's like that thing in in Matilda where it's like if you're not being intellectually stimulated, you develop telekinetic powers. But then if you get put in the advanced class, the power slowly goes away because your brain is being used for other things. Yes, there you go. Exactly. So the person you know, whether you love them or you hate them. Megan Nielsen is brought to you by Gerard Way. <laughs> brought to you by the letters G and W <laughs> and MCR. Yeah. Oh my God. This is like totally not re- It's related. But like Laura Moran, who drew my, what's still my current Twitter icon. She's a very talented artist. I think Gerard Way like must follow her because she's done some fan art of him. And he liked mm-hmm. that picture she drew of me. And I was like, oh, oh wow. game over. He doesn't know who I am. But he liked a picture of my face. That's all I ever need. So by the transitive property, <laughs> For the rest of my he life. liked me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't need anything to happen good to me ever again. Because it's over. That's it. You shut it down, people. Shut it down. <laughs> it's like when Aerostar followed me on Twitter. And I was like, I don't need any other Twitter followers. Like, no one's <laughs> Aerostar. I don't need anyone else. <laughs> All right, May. Well, I think we're coming up to the end of it. So for those people who want to find your stuff on the internet, where should they look? Okay, awesome. So I'm mostly on Twitter at Avarice for Liver, and I will spell it out because it's my first time on this show. It is A-B-R-I-S-S-V-E-R-L-I-E-R-E-R. It's German. That's a My Chemical Romance thing, too. See? See? But it's in German. It's, <laughs> it's all coming together. <laughs> um. Because they're like the demolition lovers was like the big thing for that album, but I oh. didn't have a lover, so I was a demolition loser, and my username is demolition. Oh, I see what you did there. Demolition loser in German. There you go. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> and I, you can find me at that handle on Snapchat, Instagram, and I don't really use Tumblr. So Snapchat, Instagram, and Twitter. Um, talk to me about your favorite emo bands or comic books. Or a lot of other things. I like a lot of things, guys. Just come talk to me. Um, and I have, like I think I mentioned, that podcast with my wonderful co-host, Elle Collins, called The Hard Times Pod, where we discuss every WWE pay-per-view and kind of everything in between. For those people who are not following wrestling, they also talk a lot about things like Chikara and a lot of indie shows. So it's a great kind of gateway podcast for that kind of thing. Yeah, you can hear me talk about weird stuff that happens at indie shows in Maine. In the back halls of family restaurants, if you're interested. Spoiler, it's there's racism. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, like, a, kind of the ghetto promotion, though. There's, like, one really great one that's, like, kind of the one that's, you know, it's in the back of a family diner in interior Maine. <laughs> 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 yeah, so come, come check me out. Come talk to me. I like to talk. All right, cool. Well, th- thanks so much, Meg. This has been great. Oh, my God. Thank you for having me on. I'm very excited. I just want to write you love.
Thank you very much to Megan Nielsen for her time. In light of it being Spooktober, I decided on the very scary cocktail of the Corpse Reviver. There are many Corpse Reviver variants. I'm going to use my favorite, which is Corpse Reviver number two. Select a cocktail glass. Pour a small dash of absinthe from the bottle into the glass, swirling it around so that all sides are coated. Alternatively, you could put a tiny bit of absinthe into an atomizer or perfume bottle and spray it onto the glass. That way you're not wasting any booze. Special thanks to the Swinging Cat Bar in Sydney CBD for teaching me that trick. In a cocktail shaker full of ice, combine one ounce of botanical gin, one ounce of Cointreau, one ounce of Lillet Blanc, one ounce of fresh lemon juice, and shake vigorously until frost forms in the outside of the shaker. Strain into your prepared cocktail glass and garnish with a long strip of orange peel. This recipe is highly versatile. If you can't find Lillet Blanc, you can substitute dry Italian vermouth. Also, if absinthe is a little pricey or a little too goth for your tastes, you can also use any aniseed-flavored liqueur such as Pernod. I've even substituted green chartreuse, Jägermeister, or once even aged rum, which gives a nice kind of powdered sugar finish to the drink. The spritzes like this are an excuse to experiment, so go for broke and use something that your guest is going to like. While this jet set life might kill you, this drink will bring you back to life. And it's not a fashion statement, it's a tasty beverage. Enjoy! The Math of You is recorded in Leichhardt, New South Wales, Australia, and is written, hosted, and edited by yours truly, Lucas Brown. New episodes are released every Wednesday evening, and if you'd like to be a guest on the show, simply send an email to themathofyou at gmail.com and tell us what you'd like to talk about. You can follow the show on Twitter at themathofyou, and you can follow my wacky adventures at Lokified, L-O-K-I-F-I-E-D, on Twitter and Instagram, or Lokified82 on Snapchat. If you have a few dollars and would like to directly support the show, go to patreon.com slash Lokified. For as little as a dollar a month, you can get some great rewards, and I would really, really appreciate it. My quest for iTunes reviews and ratings continues, so if you leave a rating and review on the iTunes store of the country of your choice, I will read it out on the show and give you a little shout-out. One last request... On the 5th of November, I'm going to be recording a special mailbag episode with my very first guest, Margaret H. Willison. This is a chance for listeners and former guests to ask any questions they want of me. In fact, you can pretty much call it The Math of Me. That's a catchy title. I might hang on to that. Send your questions to themathofyou at gmail.com or send it to me on Twitter. I promise to remember. So that's from the 12th of October through to the 5th of November for you to get those questions to me. And ask away. Next week, I'll be talking to Kit Walker, co-host of the Jam Jam and I Will Fight You, and author of the Endlings series. 
about Bionicle, Star Trek, and then someone mentions Transformers and the whole thing goes in the ditch. Join me, won't you? Here I have to watch this Cruiserweight Classic, huh? Yes, really good. Are you, have you not watched any of it? Okay, I guess I, I'm a little bit, like, behind. I didn't watch the whole thing, but I watched, like, I think mm-hmm. the first three, and they're real good. Real, real good. See, I, I know everyone on Twitter's been going nuts about it, and the thing is, I love that style of wrestling. I am, I've always been a Cruiserweight guy. And um, the problem was, for a little while, I actually turned off the network because I realized I wasn't watching it unless Alex was coming over and we were making a big thing of it. Yeah. And so it was just sitting there, like, you know, doing, taking money off me. And so I would cancel it in between those things and then just, like, wait for them to send me a, please, we want you back, have a free month, and then reactivate it and stuff. Oh, nice. Um, Work in the system. Exactly. So, because what ends up happening is that I always go, like, you know what, I'm going to watch all the wrestling. And then, and then I fall behind. Yeah. Because that is an impossible task. Like, I did it where... Um, for a while, I'm like, I'll watch every NXT. And then I fell behind that, and then Alex came over, and we watched the TakeOver. And I'm like, I'm not catching up eight episodes of NXT to watch just because I've watched the TakeOver. And then um, after I canceled the network, I'm like, okay, well, our cable subscription gets us a DVR Raw and SmackDown. So I'll just record those and watch those, and I'll fast-forward the, the promos and just watch the matches. And now I'm like six weeks behind, and I have like 4% left on my DVR. <laughs> so I'm just like going through and deleting them. <laughs> No, that's what happened when I was in Alaska and I had cable. I, like, would record Raw. And I was like, wow, I'm so smart. I can just watch Raw this way. And then it's just so much. And then, like, a (laughs) rosebud corner. Like, Adam Rose's rosebud will come on and you'll be like, I'm over it. I'm never watching wrestling again. (laughs) (laughs) Or even if it's, like, I'll even, like, fast forward the entrances just in case it's going to be a schmoz where they just fight because I don't care. And so it'll be, like... Oh, it's like, oh, they're starting up, and, oh, no, they actually rung the bell, and now I'll go back and watch the entrance and enjoy it. Because it's like, <laughs> you know, a I've little got six counterproductive. Hours. It is, except for it's like I can fast-forward at, like, 30 times, so it's like, it just takes a second. Fair. Fair enough. Of course, you know, I have to make room for more dvr episodes of Jeopardy, so. Obviously, the important stuff in life. Because it's great because they do because um, Jeopardy now switched over so now it's on like Foxtel Classics, okay. which is like the old the old timey um, station where they show like Gunsmoke and things. So what'll happen is they'll play like three um, Jeopardy episodes from like 2013, 2014, mm-hmm. and then one new one. So it's like I'll just hit it on there. I'll just like record everything with the word Jeopardy in it, and um, so I'll, ha- I'll like I'll go to sit down on like a like a Thursday night and it'll have like six episodes of Jeopardy I'm like yes and you watch someone like start off and become champion and and, like kick ass for a while and then fail and you get really invested okay awesome now that makes sense that's like a plan I can get behind (laughs) yeah see I I want Jeopardy champs to cut promos (laughs) that would make everything a whole lot more interesting that's for sure 
Yeah, it's way better than just those conversations where they're like, so I hear you proposed in an interesting place. <laughs> Fucking Jeopardy. I love Jeopardy. Jeopardy's good to us. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't realize how much I loved it until I went like 12 years without it and then realized I had full access to it and went, <gasps> and it just fell off the side of the, uh, off the ledge just completely. Nothing has ever mattered more than Jeopardy. <laughs> it's one of those situations where you find yourself like, because Kimiko had never seen it because it doesn't air over here. Um, they have a terrible knockoff called Temptation that got really? canceled like There's eight no years ago. Really? There's no Jeopardy? Yeah. Nope. Uh, ex- except for the, the stuff we get in from the States on like the high-end the high end cable channels. So like I'm explaining it to her. I'm like, okay, look, this is how it works. You know, you try and get this money, but you'll lose money if you do it like this. And, and then like I sat and I realized I was explaining the strategy of Final Jeopardy. Like, you want to play it safe and cover if the other person's going to double their score, but you also don't want to overcommit on this category and you have to bid before you see the question and all this stuff. And I'm like, huh, maybe I like Jeopardy more than I thought. Yeah, yeah. Maybe knowing literally every rule to this thing. <laughs> Ow! Fuck! Sorry. Cat, Cat attack? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's like when I, like, I never considered myself a sports person, like, at all. Um... And then I was, like, watching, like, I was in a bar with some friends, and playoff hockey was on TV. Yeah, yeah. Because, again, the bar, the bar has all the sports channels. And I started to, again, t- they're like, oh, well, who's that? I'm like, oh, well, that's this person. They used to be on this team. And, oh, you can see they're a really good player in this way because they do blah, 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 blah. And, again, it's only when you start to explain to someone and you go, huh, I do know stuff about Yeah, aren't hockey. you an expat Canadian? How did you not know that? How have we not talked about no, that No, you before? are, right? Right? Yeah. 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 It's in your blood to like hockey. <laughs> and things among Canadians, I wouldn't consider myself a particularly like hockey obsessed fan. But it's like, you know, everyone I like I could probably tell you the story of about 10 Stanley Cups that I remember from when I was a kid and uh, what team my different people in my family supported and who were the good players and when they crossed to this team, how you cut them off dead because that's bullshit. Yeah. You know, when when Patrick, Patrick Wall left the Montreal Canadiens and went to Colorado, and he was fucking dead to us. Yeah, no. Um, <laughs> Yermir Yager does not exist to me anymore. He's... Oh, I, I am shocked he is still alive, let alone still playing. I'm sorry, you left the Devils. You no longer. You no longer. <laughs> hey, he, he, was a Pit, he was a Pittsburgh kid. Everybody knows that. But I didn't care about him when he was in Pittsburgh. <laughs> It was him and Mario Lemieux were on the same line. It was insane. <laughs> also, he still has that hair. Yes. Oh, my God. Yes, he does. <laughs> the magnificence of Yaramir Yager's mullet. Oh, he's amazing. <laughs> he's so good. <laughs> so much What's love. fun now, though, is that I've learned to appreciate hockey through Twitter now because I'm very rarely, like, sitting down to watch a game, but, except for in the playoffs. And um, now I just get to watch, like, all of the various, like, ladies who like hockey on my Twitter will just, like, go through and the thirst is palpable. And they'll just, like, get real mad about Sidney Crosby. Fuck Crosby. I hate him. <laughs> He's so good, though. I don't care. I hate him. <laughs> have you seen Have you seen the skills videos? Yeah. This, this Oh, my God. The Penguins, like, Christmas video is the best thing in the world because, like, he just has one line at the very end and he's just like, where's the ibuprofen? It's like, Sidney Crosby would need to know where the ibuprofen is. Because he's banged up as hell. But also, it's like, when I saw the skills videos, my only thought was, like, that kid from the Mighty Ducks 2, the cowboy kid, grew up and joined the Penguins. (laughs) 
Love it.